Good evening. Please turn your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18, and we'll begin reading in verse 21. Please stand with me as you find your place and we honor the Word of God together. Let us hear Matthew 18, 21 to 35. Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times? Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him, which owed him ten thousand talents. But forasmuch as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife, children, and all that he had, and payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him an hundred pence. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told unto their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth, and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. You may be seated. Let us go to God in prayer. Father, we praise you for your holy word. Lord, that it is a light to our feet, a light to our path. Lord, we thank you that you show us. Lord, you show us so much. You show us yourself in your glory and your love, and you show us ourselves. Lord, open our eyes tonight and help us to see Jesus. Help us to see, Lord, how we can be the brothers that you'd have us to be. Lord, teach us and grow us in Jesus' name. And help me in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to look tonight at the subject of forgiveness by the forgiven. Forgiveness by the forgiven. Jesus has been talking about interpersonal relationships and sin in this chapter. He's been talking about how we need to be so careful about offending others, not just making them upset, but sinning against them and causing them to sin. He's shown us that sin is so serious that we are to treat it like a terrible cancer or a terrible infection. We are to cut it off, to kill it, to cast it from us as if we were to take our own eye out or cut off our own hand. He has shown how to deal with it when someone sins against us. When something serious enough to cause a rift in the relationship has happened and a breach of trust has come about, he's shown us how we are to go to that person, to confront them, in love, but in humility and truthfulness, and to confront them. And if they do not accept us and our, our, our humble and loving confrontation, then we are to take one or two more, and then at the end, to bring it to the church 
And at the end of the day, we find that sin can lead to somebody being put out of the church. We could almost say that sin, the seriousness of sin, is kind of a, a, a theme of this passage, of this chapter, and how to deal with sin in the church. Well, Peter here in verse 21 has heard all of this, and Peter has a question. It's a serious and a practical question, something that affects our day-to-day lives, something that we should have, a question that we should have. Lord, he says, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times? Peter's trying to be patient with his brother. Peter's an impetuous guy, but he wants to be patient with his brothers. There's 11 of them there and in the 12 disciples, you know. And Peter thinks, how many times do I have to put up with that? Seven times? Somebody does something to you or against you, and it's not just a little thing, but it's really a sin. It's really wrong, and you know it's wrong, and it's, it's hurt you. Do you forgive them, or do you hold a grudge? Do you try to get back? Do you try to get even? How about if they do it seven times? Well, Jesus' answer is, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Seventy times seven is four hundred and ninety. Jesus is not saying that we should start counting at one and count till four hundred and eighty-nine and then tell that, that person, look, you've got one more chance. And if you blow it, no, Jesus is not saying to keep a little black book and check it off whenever somebody does wrong. Instead, he's saying don't keep score. Don't keep track of the wrongs against you. Forgive them again and again and again. Wow, this is amazing. This is amazing because this is not the way that we are by nature. By nature, we want to take revenge. By nature, we want to get back. We want to get things even. There's even certain cultures that have this built into them. And I would say it's built into us by nature. But Jesus doesn't leave it with that statement, but he tells us a story which illustrates this truth about forgiveness. The first part of the story shows the forgiveness that we have experienced from God. That begins in verse 23. Here Jesus tells us about a king. And the kingdom of heaven is likened unto a certain king which would take account of his servants. This is a king who is in a position of power, a position of authority, a position of wealth. And glory. And this king is taking account of his servants. He's, he's bringing them to reckoning. He's finding out what they owe. It's reckoning day for the servants. And this one guy owed 10,000 talents. Notice verse 24. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed him 10,000 talents. Now, this kind of goes over our head because we don't talk about talents. Talents, he's not talking about abilities. He's talking about a a sum of money, a type of money. In Matthew Henry in 1721, you know the Matthew Henry commentary, he said it was in his day, he computed it to 1,875,000 pounds sterling. And we know the pound was worth a lot different back then, probably a lot more. Uh, He said it was a king's ransom or a kingdom's subsidy. I have a study Bible from 1950, and it said that 10,000 talents was equal in 1950 to $16,425,000. Well, values change from year to year. The dollar and the pound are different today from 1721 and 1950. And if we say a number of dollars today, it'll be different tomorrow. So let's think about it this way. One talent, 
was worth the, the wages of 15 to 20 years of a person's labor. 15 to 20 years. So you're talking about 10,000 talents is 150,000 to 200,000 years of wages. So you're talking about an incomprehensible sum of money. Whether you look at it in terms of money or days, you're talking about something that you could never pay off. Now, if the guy, you know, made a deal with the master and he said, I'm going to pay it off and here I'm going to take care of it. After 20 years, maybe he's made one talent and he's paid off one talent. But the the master still has, he still owes the master 9,999 talents. It was impossible for him to pay off his debt. This servant in this, in this story is us. The servant is us who owe to God. We owe God obedience. The king is God and the servant is us. We owe God obedience, service, honor, praise, glory, and worship. We owe him our lives. We owe him everything that we have. He is our creator. He is our provider He is our great benefactor and our sustainer. He's the one that holds us together and gives us breath every day. We owe him everything. But we have instead refused to give God what is his. We've held it back. We have broken his holy law. And we have racked up a dreadful debt. We have done what he told us not to do and not done what he told us to do. In fact, we could never pay our debt off. Scripture talks about this in Romans chapter 6. It says the wages, talking about pay, the wages of sin is death. He's not just talking about physical death here, but eternal death. Death forever and ever. Death being separation from God forever and ever. Revelation 21.8 calls it the second death. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. We owe God a great debt. This is how long it would take to pay off our sin debt forever. Jesus talked about the worm that dieth not and the fire that is not quenched. He gives us an illustration of it in Luke 16 in the rich man who opened his eyes in hell. We should never joke about hell. It's terrible to use hell as as a curse word or a swear word because hell is a real place. And real people are there right now. And real people are going there. This man owed his king a great sum. Verse 25, it says, But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. Here is the voice of justice, the voice of the law, saying to the sinner, Pay what you owe. The soul who sins must die. Let justice be done. Let him be sold. Let payment be made. That's what the law demands from the sinner. Payment to be made. But in verse 26, we see the servant pleas for mercy. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. He pleads for mercy. He says, have patience with me. Of course, he could never pay it all. But somehow he's thinking, 
I'll try. I'll do my best. But the, the, the master, the king, has compassion. Verse 27, Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion. You know, as we realize that the king represents God and that the servant represents us, I think this verse should move us to realize that God was moved with compassion. Of course, not in the same way as us, but that he was moved for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. He released him completely. He said, you don't have to pay it. You're, you're, you're free. Well, as we look at this, we realize that for one thing, the king was sovereign. He had power. He had authority to either punish this servant or to release him. That is how he could forgive him this debt. Our God is sovereign. He is the king and he is able to forgive. But he also was a compassionate king and, he, and our God is a compassionate Lord and he was moved with compassion toward those who were in debt to him with the great debt of sin. But our God is also just, completely just. And this story does not describe and explain completely or illustrate completely that side of the story. So how does this work with you and me? You may say, I've done a lot of things that I should not do. And I've not done so many things that I should do. How could God just forgive me and let me go free? Well, like I said, that story doesn't fully explain, but the rest of Scripture does. And as you look at various Scriptures in Romans and Galatians and even in the book of Acts, let's look at Acts chapter 13. Paul preaching there in in Acts Acts chapter 13, verse 26. The Apostle Paul says, Men and brethren, and we're looking for the clue of how God can forgive sin. Men and brethren, children of the stock of Abraham, and whosoever among you feareth God, to you is the word of this salvation sent. For they that dwell at Jerusalem and their rulers, because they knew him not, nor yet the voices of the prophets which are read every Sabbath day, They have fulfilled them in condemning him. And though they found no cause of death in him, yet desired they, Pilate, that he should be slain. And when he had fulfilled all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a sepulcher. But God raised him from the dead. And he was seen many days of them which came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses unto the people. And we declare unto you glad tidings, how that the promise which was made unto the fathers, God hath fulfilled the same unto us their children, in that he hath raised up Jesus again, as it is also written in the second psalm, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And as concerning that he raised him up from the dead, now no more to return to corruption, he said on this wise, I will give you the sure mercies of David. Wherefore he saith also in another psalm, Thou shalt not suffer thine holy one to see corruption. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell on sleep and was laid unto his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised again saw no corruption. Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. Through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. And by him all that believe are justified from all things from which ye could not be justified by the law of Moses. Paul is saying there's forgiveness through the gospel of Christ. There's forgiveness through the death of Christ. There's forgiveness through the resurrection of Christ. And that's why I read the long section because he's speaking of the death the burial, and the resurrection of Christ as the basis for our forgiveness and our justification before God. Through his death, because he paid the price for our sins, 
through his resurrection because in that he was accepted of the Father. And we can be accepted in him. And so he says in verse 39, And by him all that believe are justified. That word means declared righteous. From all things from which ye could not be justified by the law of Moses. The law of Moses was just and good and holy, but it could not justify us. But Christ could through his cross, through his resurrection. And now for a believer, the believer is declared righteous in Christ, acquitted, not guilty, and has a right standing before God and is right with God, not on the basis of what he has done, but on the basis of what Christ has done for him and who Christ is. Romans tells us in Romans 3, 24-28, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say at this time, His righteousness. God is declaring His righteousness. That he might be just. How can God be just and justify the ungodly? How can he say about the ungodly they're righteous and welcome them into his presence and forgive them and release them? How can he do it? It's only through the righteousness of Christ. It's only by faith in Christ and his work for us. That he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Where is boasting then it is excluded? By what law? Of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. And there's other passages we could look at as well in Galatians and other places. Wonderful passage to me that has encouraged me for many years is Ephesians 1.6 where Paul says, that we are accepted in the Beloved. We're not accepted on the basis of how good you prayed yesterday or maybe how well you performed today or how you know your prayer time was just right and you witnessed to five people and all of that. We do want to obey God. We want to have good prayer times. I'm not discouraging any of that. But what I'm saying is we are accepted in the Beloved. We're accepted on the basis of Christ and His work for us. We praise the Lord, and this is wonderful news. And I encourage you, if you are not a true believer in Jesus Christ today, if you do not know this forgiveness, turn from your sin and trust in Him. And hear this good news And ask Him to be your Lord and Savior. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. Well, the story is only half done. The second part of the story tells shows that our forgiveness of others flows out of the fact that we've been forgiven by God. You see, this servant had another servant who owed him a sum of money. Says in verse 28, But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him an hundred pence. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. This this fellow servant owed him a hundred pence, it says in the King James, which is a hundred denarii in the Greek One denarii was one day's wage for a common laborer. So this was the pay for about three months, maybe three and a half months. It was the pay for about three months. It wasn't a negligible amount for a servant, but it was a pittance in comparison to what he had just been forgiven by the king. One denarii, I'm sorry, one talent, remember he had owed the king 10,000 talents. One talent was worth about 
6,000 to 7,000 denarii. So he really didn't have a case. I mean, he didn't really have a reason to get on to his fellow servant. He has just been forgiven 60,000 to 70,000 denarii, and he is demanding payment for 100 denarii. So this man grabs him by the throat and he says, Pay me that thou owest. It's payday for me. Pay up. And notice verse 29. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me and I will pay thee all. This is just like what he did, right? The same. He's pleading for mercy His fellow servant is pleading for mercy in just the same position, just the same attitude, just the same words, almost as he did himself. Asking for mercy, asking for patience. But there's a difference. And the difference is in verse 30. The result is that he refused. It says, and he would not. He said, no. But he went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. Here we see unforgiveness or lack of forgiveness by the forgiven. The one who's been forgiven should forgive, but instead he's not forgiving. This contrast is intentional. The Lord Jesus wants us to see the picture. And he wants us to see it in bold, stark contrast. He wants us to see it in black and white. He wants us to get the point He wants us to see that this is not a good picture. That this is not a good... The story was good until now, but the story all of a sudden got really, really bad. Right? So he cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. In verse 31, the master hears... First of all, the servants hear and they see. And then the master hears in verse 31... It says, So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told unto their Lord all that was done. The master hears what had happened. The king hears. Now, the difference for us is our king always knows whether we've forgiven or whether we haven't. He doesn't have to be told by anybody and no one has to inform him. But this is part of the story. Not each, th- not each individual part of the story is picturing God perfectly. But it says the fellow servants saw what was done and they were very sorry. In other words, they were very grieved. And a lack of forgiveness is very grievous. It's very grievous to us. It's very grievous to the person who's not been forgiven. And it's very grievous to God And it's also very grievous to those around us. A lack of forgiveness is very grievous. Then we see the king calls him before him. He reminds the servant of his forgiveness. He says, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt. First of all, he reminds him of his forgiveness. He says, don't you remember what I forgave you of? 10,000 talents. Shouldn't you have forgiven your fellow servant? Verse 33, Should, shouldest that not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? That's, I think, the punchline of this whole parable. Shouldn't we have pity, compassion on our fellow servants, even as God has had compassion on us? Then he puts this fellow servant, this servant, he was wroth, it says. He was angry, and he delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. What does the tormentors represent? If it represents something, maybe it represents the conscience of man. The conscience of man eats away and 
accuses and reminds him of his sin. But it could represent more, and we know that somebody who is caught up in a lack of forgiveness opens themselves up to the devil's influence in their lives. A true believer is not possessed by the devil, but they could be oppressed or influenced by the devil. Bitterness eats us up from the inside out. And ultimately, there will be further complications physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, and in every way. And ultimately, an unforgiving or a heart that doesn't forgive shows that we are not truly Christians if we persist in not forgiving. Of course, we know that Christians struggle with the flesh and the spirit. There's that battle within us of the the flesh lusting against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And Christians desire to do things that they should, but they don't always do as they should, right? We have that struggle within us. So a Christian can struggle in these areas. But a Christian who is, I mean, a person, not a Christian, but a person who has given over to a lack of forgiveness persistently shows that they are not a true believer, may show that they are not a true believer. In Matthew 6, 12, in the, in the Lord's Prayer, the Lord Jesus said, Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. We like the first part, forgive us our debts. But sometimes we kind of skip past the second part, as we forgive our debtors. Nice to go quick on that, right? But it's just as important because he's basing the one on the other. Not that our forgiveness is based on Our forgiveness by God is based on our forgiveness of others. No. But our forgiveness of others, it it proves and shows that we have been forgiven. He says in, in verse 14 and 15, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So a true believer shows his faith by his life. He shows his faith by obedience, by love, and by forgiveness, even when it hurts. He shows that he has been forgiven by forgiving others. And it's something we are to work on. It's something we are to seek to put on and to put off that heart of anger, wrath, and malice, and bitterness. We'll see that later in in the passage in Ephesians chapter chapter 4 and Colossians chapter 3. It's not something that's just automatic, but it's something we work at. And so somebody might have an objection because Jesus has been talking about confronting the brother and seeking his repentance and, and all of that, but what about if they don't repent? This is all great, but what if they don't repent? What if that person just refuses to repent? Well, it seems from verse 17, it says, Let him be unto thee as an heathen man and a publican. Well, we might be tempted to use that as an excuse to treat them in a, in a, poor, in a very bad way. But how did Christ treat publicans? How did the Lord Jesus treat the Gentile sinners and the heathen man, men? He had compassion on them. Of course, he didn't compromise truth and righteousness. He didn't give in to their sins. No, but he had compassion on them. This does not justify a heart of bitterness, malice, spite, and anger toward the other person. We see at the third step in the process of church discipline that the person is considered to be outside the church, to be not eligible for church membership anymore, to not be candidates for the Lord's Supper. In that sense, they are outside the camp, but it does not justify a heart of bitterness toward them. I submit that there are two aspects of forgiveness shown in the Scriptures, 
two aspects, two dimensions. First of all, this outward aspect, or ex, ex, we, should, we could say an outward extension or expression of forgiveness. It's what we do when we say, I forgive you. It's an extended hand of welcome to the person back into our lives. There may be situations where we could do this as a gospel opportunity before somebody has repented. But it's not normal. We see Christ almost do that on the cross when he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He didn't say to the people, I forgive you, but he did say, Father, forgive them. So there's that heart of forgiveness there. We see people like Corey Ten Boom expressing love and forgiveness and, and kindness to people who have shown them hatred and cruelty. And, and I believe there's gospel element to that. But normally, especially in the church, we should follow the process laid out in Matthew 18. The process given in Matthew 18 is for the church. We work for reconciliation. We work to cleanse the the, the body. We work to cleanse the person of sin. We work to, to, to get rid of sin out of our own lives and out of our brother's life. We work for healing. We work for true restoration and true reconciliation and true restoration of that trust and that, that breach of trust that has happened and to bring that back together so that we can work together again and, and be a body in Christ. And Christ has given us a tool, and that tool is in, in verse 15 to 20. And that tool is that individual confrontation and that bringing the one or two with us so that we have that accountability and then bringing it to the church. So for the most part, we should reserve that I forgive you for when they repent. And we do that for their sakes as well as for ours, and we do it for the glory of God and for the sake of the church. But secondly, I want to say, is that all there is to forgiveness? Saying, I forgive you, and letting them back into our lives. I submit that it is not. That there is more to forgiveness. There is an inward heart forgiveness that should be there, whether or not that person has ever repented. There is an aspect of releasing them in our hearts, not having bitterness toward them, not having revenge toward them, not having a grudge, not having hard feelings and anger. When you release them in your heart, you're releasing yourself. Amen. Because bitterness is a prison that has harder steel I mean, harder bars than steel and harder walls than concrete. And sometimes people have been so bitter that they have gotten that person who did them wrong into prison, and they're so glad. But that, that person who's bitter is in prison longer than the other person. So you say, well, that's a nice thing to say, but what scripture do you have to back this up? We don't just want to hear nice things that you have to say. And I agree. Let's go to Mark 11, verse 25. Mark 11, verse 25 and verse 26. The Lord Jesus here is talking about prayer. And he says, and when ye stand praying, forgive. Forgive if ye have aught against any. Aught means anything and any means anybody. So if you have anything against anybody, forgive. That your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. He doesn't say if you have ought against any and they have repented. But he's talking about something that happens in your heart. With anybody, forgive. That your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. But if ye do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven Forgive your trespasses. The Lord Jesus has shown us that it's very important before we pray to consider our hearts. Whether we have sinned against others, and I believe that was in, in earlier on in Matthew. Whether we have sinned against others, but also 
whether someone has sinned against us and how our attitude is toward it. Very important before we pray. Brother Randy read from Leviticus chapter 19 last week, I believe, and verse 17 and 18. And that is really what Jesus is saying this based off of. Thou shalt not hate thy brother in thine heart. Thou shalt in any wise rebuke thy neighbor and not suffer sin upon him. Thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. That's what Jesus is basing Matthew 18 off of, is not hating your brother, but actually confronting him when there's sin and not bearing a grudge and seeking revenge in your heart. And now we'll look at that passage in Ephesians chapter 4. I know you've been itching to get there. I hope. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30. The Apostle Paul says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Remember, we said that bitterness is grievous. And one of the ways that we can grieve the Holy Spirit, or some of the ways, are described in verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And instead, the opposite, we should put this stuff away. I love how Paul talks about putting away and putting off and putting on. The idea of, in Colossians, the parallel passage talks about putting off and putting on. The idea that you would go in your closet and you would Get off those old clothes, those ratty clothes, and put on your your best clothes. He's saying, put on a new habit, a new way of living. Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. And since we have time, we'll look at the passage in Colossians, verse chapter 3. Verse 8, Colossians 3, 8. But now ye also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication, out of your mouth. Then verse 12, put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, affections that spring from your inner man, kindness, Humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Notice in both of these passages, Paul is contrasting bitterness and anger, with sinful anger, with forgiveness, humility, and kindness. And he is using Christ as the model, Christ or God in Christ in, in, in Ephesians is our model and our motive for forgiveness. And that's what, what, what Christ has said in, in Matthew 18. The king forgave the servant. The servant should have forgiven his fellow servant. So we are to put off this bitterness and anger and instead forgive. This means a willingness to let it go. Not constantly going over the details or reviewing it. You know that you may have a problem with bitterness if you can't forget it. You can't keep from repeating it. And you can't keep from bringing it up. A readiness to extend forgiveness at the first sign of repentance is the, is the other aspect that we want to, the other aspect of this heart forgiveness. To be ready to extend forgiveness at the first sign of repentance. Think about the prodigal son in Luke 15. Remember what he did. 
He took advantage of his father. He asked him, Dad, can you just give me the money that you're going to give me when, I, when you die? He said, okay, I'll do it. And he took the money, he went off and lived it up. And he, he, he partied and he just lived in sin and lived in, in debauchery and in immorality and, and drunkenness and all of that. And so what happened? He's feeding the hogs and wanting to eat the hog food. There he is. Miserable. But he says, he comes to himself. God gets a hold of him and he says, my father's servants have enough and to spare. He says, I will arise and go to my father and say unto him, I have sinned against heaven and against you and I'm no more worthy to be called your son. Make me instead one of your hired servants. So notice what happens. He goes to his father, and he's on his way. Well, some fathers would be, you know, very questioning, but instead his father is, looks out and he sees him coming a long ways away, and he runs to his son. You see that readiness to receive the prodigal. You see that readiness to forgive. He runs to his son and he welcomes him and his son doesn't even get out the full confession. He, he tells him, I have sinned against heaven in your sight and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the other part, he can't even talk because his father's already saying, get, get the ring and get the, 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 the fatted calf and the robe and all of this. Why? Because his father has forgiven. He has already had a heart that is ready to forgive. This is how we should be toward others. Well, how do you treat that person when he is not forgiving? I mean, not repentant. How do you treat that person when he is not repentant of his sin? You have confronted him or her according to the biblical pattern. Maybe you can't follow through all of the processes because they're not in the church or whatever, but you've done your best. Matthew 5.44 still applies to us. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. So love, bless, pray, and do good. And ultimately, God will judge. We leave it in His hands. If that person is a believer, the blood of Christ covers the multitude of sins. And God will work in their lives according to His will. But if they're not a believer, maybe they will come to Christ. And ultimately, if not, then God will judge. So as in a conclusion, God calls the forgiven to forgive. How are you doing? How am I doing in forgiveness? In order to be better forgivers, let us look at the forgiveness that God has shown us in Jesus Christ. That's what Paul says in Ephesians and Colossians. That's what Jesus is saying in this parable. Compare what that person owes to you to what you owed to God. God wants us to be like Him. His forgiveness is our model. But it is also our motive. How can I not forgive when God has forgiven me so much? Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? If your heart is bound up with bitterness, and you can't release, and you can't forgive, and you say, I could never forgive, God can change your heart, and he can give you a heart of forgiveness. He can cleanse your dirty heart and forgive your sin by the blood of Jesus and give you the power to forgive your enemies, to forgive those who do you wrong, and to forgive those who hate you 
This is the power of the gospel. Do you know this power? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, I praise you for the forgiveness, free and full, that has come by the blood of Jesus. Lord, we feel like Paul who said that he was the chief of sinners. And Lord, we realize that, that the, the talents and the, the thousands that we owed, Lord, we could never pay it back, but you have done it, and we praise you. Lord, give us grace. Forgive us for where we have not been forgiving. Give us grace to follow your commandments and follow in your ways. Lord, to seek reconciliation and also to have a heart of forgiveness. I pray your blessing upon each one of us, Lord, for our relationships in the family, our relationships to our spouses, Lord, our relationships in the, in the church, our relationships in workplace and in society. Lord, that we would follow your ways and that we would see your blessing. I pray, Lord, that you would bless our prayer lives, that they would grow because of forgiveness. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Please stand with me as we... Read God's word together. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling, and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory, with exceeding joy, to the only wise God our Savior be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and ever. Amen. 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 You are dismissed.